good to worship, isn't it? It is. It is. We get so caught up in the things of this world at times, I, I, I think we forget uh, that this world is not all there is, and this world is not the ultimate. And uh, all those things we long for, it will happen one day. One day. So if you have your Bibles, you might open them with me at Colossians chapter 3. We're in a series called Real ID or Real Identity. We're talking about who we are, specifically who we are in Christ. And today, as we slowly make our way through uh, this text we've looked at a little bit already in Colossians 3, I want to hone in on something specific. I want to talk today about anger. Because anger can be a confusing emotion. Anybody here not get angry this week over something? The challenge is, we hear people talk about, well, my anger is righteous. Here's the thing with me. I can't speak to you. I can speak to me. I have authority to speak to me, right? right? It's very difficult to call anything I do righteous. But the reality is, anger comes with love. If you really, if you think about it. Because if somebody does wrong to someone you love, then anger is in many cases a right response. But what we do with that anger, how we handle that anger, and where that anger goes, sometimes is where things go wrong. Now the flip side is, I get in traffic, and I'm running late. Whose fault is that? Right, 100% mine. And I get frustrated or angry because I'm in traffic and traffic is slow and I'm running late. That also has to do with love. But what I'm loving in that moment, more specifically, who I'm loving in that moment, is me. And so anger, more times than not, becomes sinful because I'm loving me too much. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's back up and see where Scripture takes us. I just want to point out to you that you can be angry and sin not, as the Scripture is going to say. Jesus was angry in moments. But Jesus didn't live angry. Does that make sense? Jesus got angry. He didn't live angry. So this is what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 3, maybe you'll read along with me. And again, if you don't have a Bible that's yours, feel free to pick up one of ours. Uh, they're in the backpack here. They're blue. You can just have it. Consider it a gift to you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, put to death, therefore, we talked about this last week, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which really is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And I would point out to you that in the previous verses, he told us our life is now hidden in Christ. So this is, this is where your life used to be hidden. Now it's hidden in Christ. But now also, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. The, the now also implies that, that these Christians, on one hand, struggled still with some of the sins that everybody struggles with, the immorality and the greed and the lust and all of those things, but that they weren't really considering these relational sins to be all that big of a deal. And he's pointing out to them that, <laughs> that these relational sins are as much a big a deal as those other sins are. In other words, we think of sin as something we do against God, rightly so. But sin is also something we do towards other people. And this is why, this is why Jesus would come along and say, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But the second, very similar to it, to love your neighbor as yourself, because there's a connectedness between our love this way and our love this way. We talk about that a lot, right? But now, you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. And here, verse 11 says, there is no Gentile or Jew no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. And, and we're going to get to that verse, but it's going to take us a while to get there. And I'm not even sure we'll get there today. That may be more next week. But I, I want to come back to those. You must rid yourself of all these things as well. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying to each other. Lying is lying, right? I don't think it needs much explanation. But I would note for you that filthy language, slander, and lying all have to do with my lips, right? But at the beginning of the verse, he says, rid yourselves of anger, rage, and malice. These have to do with things that are going on Inside, In other words, there's a connection between what goes on inside below the surface and what comes out outside above the surface. Anger, the word anger here refers to, you know, it reads anger and rage, right? And, and, and we sort of, oh, it's just two words mean the same thing. But they mean something slightly different. Anger, in this case, is sort of that, that slow burning inside of you that never gets resolved, where you just stay angry with someone. You know that feeling? You wake up with it, you go to bed with it, it's, it's there. You put it aside sometimes, but it's never far from the surface. And the person you're angry at like shows up or says something or posts something on social media or texts you or calls you into their office or, or whatever it may be. And, and it's just right back, just like that. The word rage, on the other hand, 
refers to the eruption we would think of as anger. It's outbursts of anger. Rage is when we see uh, the Mount St. Helens in our soul decide to finally lose it. You tend to know this is going on because the slow burn often leads to a breaking point where you can't hold it in anymore and out spews all kinds of stuff. Again, anybody, anybody have, if you're totally lost in what I'm talking about today, good for you. But I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. All right, so anger, slow burn, rage, quick temper, heat up, comes out really fast. In the middle of these sins is malice. I don't know about you, but I, I don't go around very often saying, hey, man, looks like you got some malice going on today, right? It's just not a word I use very often. But it's a word that shows up in Scripture. Here's what it means. It means, it means to wish harm on someone. It means ill will. It means what you want for them is, is ill. Like, dude, that's sick. It, it means what you want is not grace, but harm. And <clears throat> catch that that attitude is the polar opposite of the Jesus way of life. And so we, he says we should rid ourselves of these new things. The language there implies that we're to strip it off. In fact, he tells us to <laughs> get rid of, take off these old clothes, if you will. Verse 9, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. I find it interesting. It says get rid of. Get rid of. Like, like, here's the problem with taking a verse in the Bible and reading it and not looking at it, bless you, Craig, and not looking at what's around it context-wise. Because if I read this, I just read, rid yourselves of these things, it, it, and I didn't read everything around it, it would sound like that's something I am actually, you know, can do. But if you've ever tried to work on your anger, you know that it's not as simple as just casting it aside. What you need is an internal change to create an external reality. What you need is a change of heart that you cannot change on your own. And in the end, this drives all of us right back to our need for Jesus. Just like those sexual sins that were mentioned earlier, just like any other kind of sin, you can go, you can go sin by sin through the Bible and, and basically find out at the end of the day, I can't do that. He can. I need him to do it for me. I need him to do it in me. And all of that happens by grace. Again, just catch, these are relational sins, which means the church was struggling in its relationships internally. If you've ever been a part of a church that, that not with society, but with each other, was full of ill will, where they were sick towards each other, where there was malice and intent to harm that showed up in anger and rage and slander. The word slander there is the word blasphemy. It's just directed at another person. When we're 
in a place in the church where that's the way we treat each other, what do we think is going to spill out into the community? Like we're never, ever going to reach people with the love of Jesus when we can't practice it with each other. That's why we spend so much energy and time talking about how to be healthy in our relationship with one another, why we need to deal with things quickly when they arise, why we need to work towards forgiveness and put aside bitterness. Of course, this isn't the only place in the Bible to speak of this. There's a context here that we're going to explore, but there's a broader context in the rest of Scripture. And I want to make sure that you see what the rest of Scripture says about anger. But before I get there, I, I like this quote from Aristotle. He said, anyone can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, and at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not within everybody's power, and that is not easy. And in fact, I would, I would say that's, that, that's within nobody's power. Right person, right degree, right way, right manner. It's in nobody's power except Jesus. So think about some other scriptures. Well, there's the, the famous one we read at weddings. I don't, I'm not exactly sure why it's, it's the wedding passage, but it is. 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud, love does not dishonor others, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered. It doesn't say love is not angered. It says love is not easily angered. That's where the sin comes into the, into the equation. If you were to describe Brian, am I easily angered or am I slow to anger? It's a fair question. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. This is where we get that sense of righteous anger, right? God was angry. God was righteous in his anger. And so we tend to excuse our anger and say, well, it's righteous anger. And I look at how Christians interact with the culture around us, and I see a whole lot of, well, it's just righteous anger at the sins of others. But is it right degree, right place, right person, right manner? Does it reflect grace? James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Notice the connections there. Anger, righteousness. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We are to be slow to become angry. It doesn't say never become angry. It says slow to become angry. Why does it say that? Because that's how God is. Look at this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. 
tells us that the Lord passed in front of Moses. This is when Moses went up on the mountain. You know, he got the, the two blocks of the Ten Commandments, the chiseled in commandments, and he broke those and then had to, you know, redo the whole game and that, that whole story. And so the Lord passed in, while Moses was up on the mountain, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. This is the description of who God is and, and giving the name of the, the Lord to Moses the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Slow to anger. This is who the Lord is. Why? Because he's abounding in love. But again, there's a connection between love and anger. Anger really, in some sense, is an extension of love, and it has a place. Anger, if we were to define it, is an intense emotional feeling of displeasure towards something wrong, towards injustice. And when something wrong is done to someone we love, it's natural that what we feel is anger the difficult part for us is to take that energy of anger and turn it into the right next step. Because where it goes sinful for me is before I ever get to the right next step, I have all these wrong feelings going on inside of me. Let me say this another way and see if this makes sense for you. It's the first blank in the outline if you're filling in blanks with me today. Everyone gets angry. It's not healthy to stay angry. Remember, be angry and sin not. Right? Don't let the sun go down, Ephesians said. There is this clear sense, the scripture's not telling us to never get angry. It's saying when you are angry, don't go to the sinful next step. How do we know what that is? And how do we steer clear of sin when anger is going on inside of us? Let's think of it this way. When I end up with uncontrolled anger, when I stay angry, when my anger burns out, when it, when it moves from slow burn to rage, and it begins to, the fire gets out of the fire pit, if you will, when, when that's what's going on, more often than not, I'm telling myself internally that I have the right to feel this way. You got a spat going on at home. There's something going on with your kids, you and the coworkers, you and the boss. There's something happening where, where you're right. And they're clearly And so you say, because I'm right, I have the right to stay angry. And that slow burn or that blow up rage goes on inside of us. But that's a bit like saying, I don't ever have to forgive. And Jesus takes us back to, you don't want to forgive, but how much have you been forgiven? I don't have the right to stay angry. God didn't. I think of these two kinds of anger, the, the slow burn and the blowing up. It, both of them have a sense of 
of uh, destructiveness, just strategies that don't work, right? A blowing up, if I do the poof, blow up, that destroys my relationships, doesn't it? If, you, if you're a person who's always angry all the time, you're always blowing up at people, all that does is isolate you from everybody else. Because in the end, we all know that that's not who we want in our lives, right? The blowing up destroys my relationships, but clamming up where I just try to bury it and not deal with it, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Doesn't mean stuff it in, clam up, and just pretend it doesn't exist. It means deal with it and deal with it quickly before the sun goes down. But we have a tendency to do that slow burn where we just clam up. And that clamming up destroys me. When I'm a simmering pot of hostile, mean-spirited malice, when I'm wishing ill on the inside, typically it's going to eventually blow up on the outside. Again, this is where I often get anger wrong. I'll just say I don't want conflict, so I'm just going to... right Instead of verbalizing something, dealing with it quickly... I let the sun go down on my anger, but I never say anything about it. It just burns and burns and burns. Clamming up destroys me. So what's the difference between healthy anger and unhealthy anger? And what are the roots of my sinful anger? What are the costs of ignoring my anger? And how do I become a person who can handle anger in healthy ways? That's where we're headed in the next minutes. First, what's the difference between healthy and unhealthy anger? I originally phrased this one, what's the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger? And I, I decided that I would get to sinful anger in a few minutes. I just want to distinguish healthy, unhealthy for us for a few minutes, right? So let's think about some opposites here and think about our own anger. When I'm in a selfish place, my anger is unhealthy. Does that, does that seem obvious? So if I'm angry and it's coming from an unselfish place, this would speak to an anger that's, that's more healthy. And again, if I were to think about the times that Jesus was angry, his concern was not himself, it was others. In fact, you remember the story, right? There's two stories, actually, of Jesus going into the temple and, and flipping over the tables or using the whips to drive out the money changers. And he, they had turned the temple into a place for money-making, right? Like Taylor Swift moved in. They were selling concert stuff or something, right? And they had, they had, they had changed entirely. And not just that. What they were doing was excluding the most, the, the poor, they were excluding women, they were excluding people who deeply needed God, but they were saying, weren't, and, and, and in the money changing, they were exploiting the poor. And so Jesus was going after them, not because of himself, but because of the people who were missing out on God because these money changers thought they were better than everybody else and that they deserved more. So selfish versus unselfish. There's vengeful versus loving, right? When, when, when anger drives me towards vengeance, 
We could say that easily, clearly looks like malice, right? Ill will, want to harm. But that hot, quick, fast feeling of anger inside of me can drive me back to what is the loving thing to do. You say, well, it didn't seem very loving for Jesus to turn over the... Except it was. Who was he being loving to? The people who were being excluded that needed God. There's uncontrolled versus managed. I'm not sure that these are quite the best words for this, but I, I just think of anger as sort of a fire. So when it's out of the fire pit, right, it's going to do more destruction. But when it is managed, it can be productive, right? Right? You can, you can cook on fire. You can cook with fire. You can't cook on fire. Well, you Camping, I've cooked on fire, right? But, but you don't want to be on fire, do you? Again, we go back to that story of Jesus. Was he out of control flipping the tables? Or did he know exactly what he was doing? I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Now, did it appear maybe out of control? Perhaps. But what he was doing was making a way for the people who were being excluded to be included because God loved them too. And he was making that abundantly clear. In my notes, I wrote fast versus slow. Again, I, I just admitted there's a slow burn kind of anger where I clam up and stuff it, and that's not good. But by slow being healthy here, I mean slow to anger. Right? When I'm quick to anger, when I'm fast to anger, I am primarily thinking of myself. And when I am slow to anger, I'm living a life of love. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, love is not easily angered. And the last one I wrote in my notes was destructive versus restorative or restoration. Think about how often our anger leads to tearing something down or more specifically tearing someone down. This is where the anger, the rage, the malice spills over into the slander and the lying and the saying of things to other people or about other people. Right? If something goes on at work and the boss makes everybody mad, and instead of sitting down and talking to the boss about it, the employees talk to everyone else about it, right? Right? This doesn't... Right? That was junior high, by the way. But it's what happens. Flip side is, all the bosses get together, go out and play golf, and they do the same thing. And it just pits groups against one another, but nobody's actually working together to solve. That reminds me, what do they call it? They call it Congress. <laughs> you get the idea there's a difference between healthy anger and unhealthy anger. So what are the roots of my sinful anger? Before we go there, I want you to do this. I, 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 with your best art skills... I want you to draw some little jalapeno peppers, okay? All right? Just in your notes there, just, just draw me some little jalapeno peppers. 
They don't have to look great. Just a little stem on them. You know, if I was on PBS, I'd say, there, that looks nice. Oh, yeah, just a little shading there. Doesn't that look good? Little Bob Ross style jalapeno peppers, you know, right? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, what is my norm? Am I a two jalapeno pepper spicy kind of? Am I a four? I'm not talking about when you eat Mexican food. I'm talking about where your heart lives all the time. What is my, is my norm four out of five jalapeno peppers? Is my norm, I have righteous anger. Five out of five jalapeno peppers. Is, is my norm one, two, three? Where, what is your norm? And this is the second thing with the jalapeno peppers. How easily do I move from my norm a couple levels up? How quickly do I level up my jalapeno peppers? They, oh, man, I'm really good at being a one, but, but I can turn into a four jalapeno pepper fire just like that. Right? I mean, I, I like making salsa. I like making guacamole, right? I, 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 I'm decent at making guacamole, right? right? But, and it, it, there are a couple of secrets to it that, that I don't let out, but, but there's more than one kind of pepper, we'll say it that way. But when I really want to make it spicy... More jalapenos. So a lot of us are going, hmm, you know, I'm pretty good at being a one, but we go from one jalapeno to four jalapenos just like that. I know what I'm... So what are the roots? Because when I talk about the roots of my sinful anger, it can be where I live all the time, my norm, and it can also be how easily... I move from one to four. Love's not easily angered. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, described God. Between the sins of hot temper like anger and rage and the sins of the tongue like slander and filthy language and lying was that sense of malice, that ill will. And I think that is the key to really understanding where my anger becomes sinful, when it becomes harmful. What are the roots of my sinful anger? Well, I got to start with the obvious. How about sin or selfishness or pride? Right? My selfishness and pride lie at the roots of the vast majority of my anger. Because who I'm loving in most of those situations is myself. My illustration before about being in traffic, I'm running late. I didn't plan well. I'm supposed to be at the doctor's office. Now I'm bumping into traffic. I knew I had to drive up Coburg Road and get through the highway and that craziness of traffic at Costco and, and, right, and now Winco and all that's. We're just going to change one little light signal and it's all going to be fine on traffic, they said. Right? So you think, I'm just going to hop on Beltline and get across the river. You know, in the next 10 years, they're going to extend Good Pasture Road and there'll be another road that'll go across Beltline without getting on the highway. It's coming. It's going to take them like 16, you know, billion dollars and a whole lot of years to get it done. But 
Yeah. Let's hope not. So what I know about my sinful anger is that it's super easy for my own pride to drive what I do. Right? Because I'm thinking primarily about me, which means love is not what's going on in my heart. And so the vast, vast majority of my sinful anger, when I move from a two jalapenos to a four, or when I just live at a three or a four, often what's going on is I'm just full of me. Number two, I wrote in my notes, masked emotions. I'm I'm not necessarily saying that other emotions are sinful in and of themselves. But I want to ask myself, and you should ask yourself, how often am I feeling anger, but what I'm not doing is really digging deeper to say, where's that anger coming from? And where that anger is coming from is often a different place. Sometimes my anger is rooted in fear. Sometimes my anger is rooted in hurts from the past. Sometimes my anger is rooted in jealousy. Sometimes my anger is rooted in exhaustion. If I stayed up on Netflix till one in the morning, what do you think the odds are? One, I'm running late the next morning on my way to the doctor's office. And two, I lose it much faster. But that show was so good, I had to watch the... Right? Anger can be rooted in a whole lot of other places. Sometimes my anger comes out of approval seeking, or sometimes my anger comes out of hurts from the past that I didn't deal with. And you think about it like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Sometimes, sometimes my anger with you is rooted in my hurt from someone else. And so anger easily becomes a mask that we wear that we're not dealing with other things. And the reason I'm going to put that under the roots of my sinful anger is because you can be pretty assured that when I'm lying to myself about where things are coming from, I'm likely trying to deceive others as well. And it becomes all the more natural to begin to say, but my anger is righteous when in fact it is absolutely not. Number three, I wrote in my notes, sometimes... The root of my sinful anger is real injustice that is handled wrongly. In other words, the root itself is, is, is an anger towards something that, that we should be angry about. Right? When, when we see uh, racism show up in the world, when we see religious exploitation show up in the world, when we see, you name thing after thing after thing that we see in the world, and we go, but that, that makes me angry. But again, we're back to sort of Aristotle's way of saying it, but are we angry in the right way, to the right degree, with the right person? Are we handling it in the right manner? Are we doing the right things with our anger? Because often we're feeling this anger, but... And, and the anger is over something we should be angry about, but the way we handle it turns into a sin territory because we go to the wrong place, but we had the right reasons. Let's go back to Jesus. 
Jesus overturned the tables. Who, who was he angry at in those situations? The money changers, right. Let's say Jesus went into the money changers and said, I'm going to take care of you, buddy. And instead of flipping over the tables, he flipped over the money changers. Right? Like Rocky style. Right? In some sense, in the movies, if Chosen did that, we'd be like, yeah! But would that be handling the anger in the right kind of way? That's what I'm trying to get at. That real injustice can and should make us angry. In fact, we've gotten so natural with it in our world that we see those kinds of things happen, and a lot of the times we just feel apathy. Which, by the way, isn't love either, and we'll come back to that in a second. So I wrote in my notes, keep moving, Brian, 1003. What are the costs of ignoring my anger? What are the costs of ignoring my sinful anger? Well, let's, let's think about it. Uncontrolled anger, Ephesians 4 said, opens the door for the devil and opens the door for destruction in every part of my life. This just seems fairly obvious to me, but uncontrolled anger opens the door for the devil. That's what it said in Ephesians 4, right? Don't, don't let the sun go down your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Right? When I'm rock climbing, I appreciate when there's a foothold to hold on to. It gives me a next step to keep going. That's what it's saying we're giving the devil. When we hold on to our anger, it's saying we're giving the devil a foothold to hold on to to take his next step into what he wants. And what does he want? Malice. Harm. When you read of the demonic in the Gospels, there's always harm involved. Sometimes it's self-harm and self-mutilation. Sometimes it's harm of others. There's a crazy story about when the demons went into the pigs and the pigs ran down into the water. We blame Jesus for that. Jesus is not the one that made the pigs run down into the water. He gave them permission to go. And when they went, they were destructive and harmful. This is what the devil is doing. And temptation and sin will always take us in the direction of destruction. And so uncontrolled anger opens the door for the uh, devil. It robs other people of the encouragement they need. It destroys relationships and it damages my heart. There was a doctor who wrote a book called None of These Diseases. In a chapter titled The High, the, excuse me, the High Cost of Getting Even, he wrote this. He describes how Physical maladies, things like ulcers, high blood pressure, and strokes can be connected to harboring resentment and hatred towards others. He says, it might be written on many thousands of death certificates that the victim died of grudgitis. So how do I become a person who can handle anger but in healthy ways? And what I'm not doing here is trying to move you to a place where you justify all of your anger as righteous. Because I think that's a self-deceiving spiral. 
because it's just way too easy to deceive ourselves and think, yeah, but, but, but my anger and everything I do with it is righteous. Dude, if that's you, man, I'd be like, wow, but it's not me because I'm not Jesus. So I'm far more concerned with how I become a person who can handle anger but slow to anger, that, that love is not easily angered. And I wrote three things in my notes. One, learn to slow down, right? It was very evident that James 1.19 said everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Notice I am most of the time the opposite. I am quick to speak, <laughs> slow to listen, and quick to become angry. God is described by himself as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Thomas Jefferson once said, when angry, count to ten. When very angry, count to a hundred. Mark Twain took that and said, when angry, count to four, and when very angry, swear. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln once had a secretary of war come to him who was angered by an army officer who accused him of favoritism. This, this, uh, the secretary of the army was Edwin Stanton. Stanton complained to Lincoln, who suggested that Stanton sit down and write the officer a sharp letter. And so Stanton did, and he showed the strongly worded letter to the president. And Lincoln said, what are you going to do with that letter? And Stanton was a little taken off, and a little surprised, and he said, I'm going to send it, of course. And Lincoln shook his head no. He said, you don't want to send that letter. He said, go put it in the stove. That's what I do when I've written a letter while I'm angry. It's good. You had a good term, time writing it. You feel better. Now burn it and write a better one. I've literally done this except with emails. And by the way, email, texting, texting angry is like driving drunk. It just doesn't work out. It's just not good. I need to slow down to breathe, slow down to listen, slow down to evaluate, slow down to respond, not react. Number two, Jesus is the change I need. This seems fairly obvious to me, but I'm powerless to really change these deeper parts of my life. I need the change to happen from the inside out, not the outside in. Verse 9 said, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. This is saying that this renewal takes place as I walk in a personal and deep knowledge and fellowship with Christ. And this is in the image of my creator, Christ, who is himself, Colossians 1 said, the visible image of the invisible God. So in other words, as I walk with Christ, I become like Christ. Jesus is the change I need because his love begins and ends with grace. He's the change I need because I need a change in my thinking, in my attitudes, in my desires, and in my priorities. Jesus is the change I need because I've got these old clothes that don't really work for me anymore. And every single day, there needs to be a taking off of the old clothes and a putting on of the new clothes. In other words, as other people have said, a taking off of the dead grave clothes and a putting on of the Jesus grace 
clothes. I need Jesus to transform me from the inside out. And number three, when there's injustice, all that fire that burns up over that in me, I need to do something right. I need to do something right. I need to take the right next step. The very next verses say this. Here in the community of faith, where we're made and remade in the image of Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free. We'll dig into those next week. But there, it's describing all the differences that could exist in, in, a, in the Colossi church of that day. He says, these are not what define us anymore, but Christ is all and is in all. That's what defines us. Therefore, verse 12 says, as God's chosen people, as God's holy people, as God's dearly loved people, this, by the way, is our new identity. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and we spend the next few weeks unpacking what that really means and how in the community of faith we live that out together and how jesus changes us from the inside out and when we see injustice we need to do the right thing not the wrong thing that doesn't mean that injustice gets ignored it just means we don't do the wrong thing, the wrong degree, wrong pe- the Aristotle quote from earlier. The bottom line, I need Jesus to change me from the inside out. And if you're here today and you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to take over your life, to live inside of you, to forgive your sins, you can do that right here, right now, even online. We always end our sermon with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. The second is a prayer of application. And so if you need Jesus today, maybe you'd pray with me right here, right now, just like this. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sin. I put my faith in you. Take over my life. and Remake me in your image. Change me from the inside out. Not only my anger, but all of my sins. And make me this person who is chosen, adopted, holy, dearly loved. Help me to live your way of life, Jesus. Your way of grace. I put my faith in you. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. If that's you, maybe online or even here in the room, I'd love to celebrate that, and I'd love to welcome you to the family. Right? You've got to tell me for me to be able to do that. And so please let us know somehow, some way. Maybe that's on a communication card or a digital communication card. Maybe you'll find me right after service. Maybe you'll tell someone you came with. Or, or maybe, maybe you'll email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. I said we pray two prayers. A lot of you prayed the salvation prayer a while back, right? And yet, any, anybody besides me feel like this one's a little too personal?
it kind of hits home in the jalapeno peppers in ways you wish it didn't. Maybe you'd pray this prayer of application with me right here. Dear Jesus, I confess that far more than not, I don't handle my anger the way you would. And I confess my selfishness and my pride. And I ask you to change me from the inside out. Make me a new person every day. Help me to learn to slow down, to see things with your eyes. When I see real injustice, help me to do something right, something helpful, something loving, something restorative. Help me to do what you would do and help us as a community of faith to do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so glad you guys were here today. I love you.